In today's interview, I talk to Scott Young, a Canadian author who has recently launched a book on ultra-learning. Ultra-learning is basically intense self-education, a great alternative to university, maybe, or just to learn skills, master them, and you know, advance your career or personal projects. Scott uh, studied four years of the MIT computer science curriculum in one year and passed all the tests. He spent a year, you know, not speaking English and traveling to four different countries to learn languages. So he has lived it and he is now telling his story through this fascinating book. I've read it and it really opened your mind to all the different skills that you could master and fulfill in your life. Very interesting episode as usual. So enjoy. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. Hello, everyone. Today, I am very excited to be interviewing Scott Young, who is releasing a book soon uh, called Ultra Learning, on uh, mostly self-education and in, well, intense self-education is how um, Scott describes it. Uh, and we'll be discussing, you know, financial independence and how to uh, learn certain subjects intensely to then use them in your career or even personal life. So without further ado, Scott, can you give us a bit of an introduction of who you are and what you do uh, right now at the moment? Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So I spent the last couple of years working on this book, uh, Ultra Learning, and I have spent uh, even longer than that, probably about the last 10 years, really writing and thinking about the question of how to learn better. So the thing that probably people know me best for is that I've done a number of sort of uh, learning projects. So one of them was uh, the MIT Challenge, which the goal was to see if uh, you could learn the content of a computer science degree. Um, so in this case, I was modeling it off of MIT's computer science degree uh, without going to school. So meaning without paying tuition, without having to go through all those hoops. And so I did that uh, over the course of 12 months. That was in 2011. And I did a different project, uh, this time learning languages. And I went with a friend and we traveled to four different countries to learn Spanish, Portuguese, Mandarin Chinese, and Korean. And the sort of the trick or the method we were using was what we called the no English rule, which meant that when we landed in each country, we were only trying to speak the language we were trying to learn. And I've also done other projects to learn things like portrait drawing and cognitive science and quantum physics and other things like that as well. So um, I'm really excited to talk to you about, uh, about ultra learning and about how you can learn things better in your own life. Yeah, that's very cool. And it's actually quite related to the financial independence community. But uh, mm -hmm. before I... Uh, I dive into that. I kind of just want to talk a bit about what ultra learning really is. So in your book, you say mm -hmm. uh, a strategy for acquiring skills and knowledge that is both self-directed and intense. That's kind of like a one sentence definition. So is there is there anything else that you'd add to that or some maybe other examples you've got of uh, ultra learning? Yeah. So the way that ultra learning came about was for seeing people doing this. So this wasn't like I created a definition and then went out in the world and like looked with a magnifying glass to see what applied, but rather seeing people doing really cool things. So I talk about uh, Benny Lewis, uh, who was sort of my first mentor in, in language learning. And then there's people in the book that I cover, such as Eric Barone, who mastered 
video game development on his own and and became a millionaire over a very short period of time from launching a best-selling game or uh, people like Roger Craig, who built his own software to really master trivia questions and and was uh, very successful on the game show Jeopardy, or even people like Nigel Richards, who uh, won the French World Scrabble Championship, even though he can't speak French. So there's a lot of good examples of this, but I created this definition because I wanted to focus on sort of two aspects. One, that these were sort of learning projects that were initiated by the person themselves. So we all know about, you know, going to a school program where a teacher tells you what to learn, how to learn it. You often don't even really know why. So these are really in contrast to that because the learner is the person in charge, that you are the one kind of deciding what you're going to do, what resource you're going to use, and it's your project. And then the second thing is I wanted to focus on people who approach things with a certain intensity or aggressiveness. And this is the harder part to define. But if you go through the book, I I detail a number of principles of ultra learning. and, And they're really principles of learning itself, where doing something that's a little bit harder, sometimes a little bit more frustrating at first, is often more effective for learning in the long run. So we can maybe go into some of those principles if we have time. But That was really what I was trying to pin down in the book is people who do something a little bit differently and it gets better results. And the reason that that thing is less common is because it's often seems a little harder first if you don't understand it. Yeah, so I'm uh, right now about three quarters through through your book. And obviously Mm -hmm. I got quite excited, right? Uh, I read it and I'm like, what kind of skills would I be interested in in intensely learning? So I made a list uh, (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. um, and they are quite fun. Uh, and this is also what got me excited was that I can apply this to my own career, you know, instead of as you did yourself, instead of, you know, going back to a university or even going to university for, for four years, you know, getting a degree, doing the whole shebang. Instead, I just, I ultra learn in my own way. So obviously I was, yeah, this is it's definitely something that I've done before without even knowing that it was ultra learning and something that I would do again. But before going into the whole education uh, part. What what would you say are the different purposes to pursue an ultra learning project? So yes, education. Uh, and I really liked in your TED talk the um, analogy you used of you know you don't go to an expensive restaurant right every time you're hungry. Uh, you mm-hmm. just go maybe once or which is in this case the degree expensive. You get it once, but if every time I'm hungry I have to go to an expensive restaurant, you know you're going to run out of money and energy pretty quickly. So you, what you call education hacking, which is this kind of uh, kind of ultra learning. So, what what other purposes would you say ultra learning uh, has? Yeah. So the way I like to think about it, and and you're absolutely right. Like a lot of people, the what they think in their head is, well, you know, if I want to learn something, I should go to school, right? Even for little things like, oh, I want to learn this. Well, I, I should go take a class somewhere. And I, my point is not to say that that's a wrong way to think about it, because you can learn things through a class and you can learn things going to school. And, and sometimes that makes sense. But just as again, just that, you know, I'm not saying never go to a fancy restaurant to have a nice dinner. That can be what you want. But if you're hungry and you just want some food, it's maybe not the best to think that that's the only place that you can get it. So I'm trying to expand the menu, if it were, of of what you can do to learn things that matter to you, because sometimes you're going to want to do something different. And so for ultra learning, the way I like to think about it is that in reality, we're learning constantly. It's not just stuff for school that, you know, we want to be better communicators. We want to have better relationships with our spouses and partners. We want to manage our money better. We want to 
get better at the jobs, the work that we're doing. We want to learn a new hobby. We want to travel. We want to learn a new language, an instrument. And all of these things are happening all the time, really, that we're trying to learn new things or that we would like to learn new things. And so ultra learning is really about kind of opening your mind to different ways of doing this and really assessing the ways you're going about it right now to see, you know, maybe there's a better way that I can acquire the skills I want or get better at the things that I care about. And so for me, I think it's not just about, you know, can you like replace a degree in terms of the knowledge that you're trying to do, but, you know, all these other things that you might care about learning. Yes. And as you say, also, self-education is the future, right? You're saying that working on ourselves, on the student instead of maybe schools, is the future of education. You mentioned that. And the other thing that I also agree with when it comes to ultra learning is the confidence part, because, right, mm-hmm. you, you master a skill and then you feel kind of invincible. You're like, what else can I do? What are the other tons of skills that I could master and become good at? So that's uh, really exciting. And The reason why I feel the financial independence community is quite linked to this is because how people normally or usually discover this finance world, right, they realize that their their money needs some fixing and then they're like, okay, what do I need to do? And they go through this sometimes six months or one year process of learning as much as they can about investing, about budgeting, Mm -hmm. about uh, just career even. And 25 are the 25 rule and the 4% rule. And then they start a blog and then they start a podcast. <laughs> this is basically me. Um, <laughs> and then they, you know, go to meetups. So it's, it's suddenly they're completely immersed in this world of, of financial independence or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's not, it's kind of ultra learning because you're learning as much as you can about this yeah. finance world. And the benefits are, you know, uh, outsized. They're, they're, huge because this completely changes your life a bit like the one of your students i can't i don't really know how to pronounce his name the well the last name but uh he's the one who um does a toastmaster competition oh, yes. Tristan DeMontevello. Yeah, exactly and he ends up in the top mm-hmm. 10 in i don't know how many months like what six seven months um i think it was a little less than seven wow, months that's yeah. crazy uh and i i'm also a toastmasters member so mm. i know that definitely if i committed to it uh, a lot here in kuala lumpur there's none so i'm a bit sad but it's yeah just you know, committing to one skill and, and then immersing yourself in it like that, it's its huge. It changes your life. So a bit like your student and a bit like the financial independence uh, community. And for this reason, I kind of wanted to, if you could really quickly uh, go through the different principles of ultra learning, uh, just to give us an idea sure. of, of what it really consists of. So when I was writing this book, I was trying to figure out how to structure it. And it's kind of challenging because the thing that kind of ties all the ultra learning stories together is just kind of how sort of crazy and unique they are. So in some ways, ultra learning is sort of the anti-step-by-step approach. You know, when we think about, well, if you learn something in school, someone tells you, go, okay, follow step one, step two. This is sort of the opposite of that. And so I had a real hard time in the beginning deciding how to frame the book. And in, in going through the research, I decided to focus on principles because I think principles are the most flexible way to think about it. That there's many, many ways you can approach learning. So I'm not here to tell you that there's only one or that I have the best one and you have to follow it. But that if you think about them in terms of principles, you can say, oh, okay, I'm deciding to learn X. And you think of a few different activities you could do to learn it. And then you think about those in terms of the principles and you can say, oh, well, this would be the problem with this one. Or this one would be better than that one for this reason. Or even the things that you're doing right now. For instance, you know, we could talk about directness as one of the principles. 
And directness basically is talking about how there's a huge amount of literature that shows that transfer is really hard, meaning that if you learn something in kind of one isolated context, say, let's say in a classroom, and then you want to apply it to real life, or you want to apply it to a different context, that this is often more difficult than we expect. And so that the people who are really successful at learning tend to tie their learning efforts to the place that they want to use it very early on. And so obviously, if you're learning a language and you want to have conversations, then you should try to have conversations early on, as opposed to just doing exercises in a textbook. Or if you are, you know, trying to learn for a particular job, you should say, okay, how am I going to use this skill in my job rather than just, again, studying it from a book or, or practicing it in some completely uh, isolated way. And so the, the nine principles that I found that were effective, and I can just sort of run through them quickly here and we can dive into any ones you care about are meta-learning, which is essentially learning about learning or understanding how to learn a subject before you start approaching it. Uh, Focus, which is an obvious one of, you know, harnessing not only your time, but also your cognitive resources towards the task of learning. Directness, which I just mentioned. Uh, Drill, which is the process of breaking down really complicated skills into components that you can get better at uh, step by step. Retrieval, which is the process of recalling things from your mind rather than looking them, uh, looking at them or just looking them up. And this turns out was something that really surprised me, but is actually really profound because if you look at how, let's say how most students study, you have a book and you read it over and over and over again. And there's a lot of research that shows that this is actually a terrible way to study. And that if you practice retrieval instead, which is the act of summing it up from your memory, you will have much better retention and you'll be able to use the knowledge uh, much more effectively. Uh, Feedback, which is of course important for learning, but in my research I was able to find there's a lot more nuance to that question of what kind of feedback is valuable and and how you should be pursuing it. And then uh, I have intuition, which is really the process of how do you go from, you know, learning a few facts, learning a few ideas and procedures to really being an expert or really having this kind of deep mastery of it and what's the science behind that. And then experimentation, which is really the heart of this ultra learning process where you try things out, you see what works and you adapt and adjust your approach. Yeah, my favorite was directness and meta learning. So I'm a big meta learner, you know, Mm. before diving into something, I will always plan how I I will do it. Uh, The other day I wanted to understand exactly how to set up a business in Estonia and before, and it was an overwhelming task. So I was like, I have so much to learn. Mm -hmm. Where do I start? Well, I started by doing a Google Doc with all the links of the times of kind of things that I need to check before. That's the kind of, it's kind of planning your your learning before getting started. And I Mm -hmm. also really relate to directness. And actually, this is the reason why I was so sick of school and why I decided not to go to university was because of exactly this reason. Too much textbook uh, and not enough learning by doing um, and I liked one of your examples that, for example, when, when you're at uh, university or school and they teach you a language, it's very mechanical. Obviously, you're not learning by doing exactly. And they don't kind of they don't teach you the skills that you'll need in the real world, like uh, acquiring the skill of like looking up translations really quickly, which is a really specific skill that you wouldn't think mm-hmm. would be important. But actually, no one really teaches us that. So uh, directness, I, yeah, I very much uh, relate to that. And this is something I try and do myself instead of you know reading I try and do it so it's yeah really cool principles and following on from that I guess uh the big question we would have is what kind of or how does one figure out the skills 
to UltraLearn or, or which projects do you think? Because you said, yes, for personal reasons and for work, mm -hmm. right? But which do you think, how, how can one go about thinking, you know, I want to work on this skill, I want this UltraLearning project? What would you tell to, to someone who's getting started with that? So my hope with the book is that when people read it, they're going to just, they're going to have something that they really wanted to learn for a while. And this, this book gives them the encouragement or the inspiration to choose one. So I tend not to be super analytical and rational in which projects I choose. I tend to pick the ones that make me go, yeah, that would be awesome. So if, if you feel that would be awesome, that's a good sign that you're like motivated to work on it. So all the projects I've taken on are like, they feel a little scary, but at the same time, you're like super excited about them. You're, oh, wow, that would be so cool if I could do X or if I knew X. Those are the things that I like to, to start with. If we're talking about using this for professional reasons so that your goal is not necessarily to learn something just for its own sake, but because you want to improve your career or you want to, you know, get a raise or a promotion or even change careers, then in that case, I often find what's useful is to think about what, what thing should I be, what thing if I were really good at it would be the thing would be most helpful for my career. And that's often a better way of phrasing the question than what subject should I learn? So if you were an accountant, you're saying, what is the thing that if I were really good at this, that would help me with my career? So maybe it's maybe it's something technical. Maybe it's like, you know what, I'm really good at knowing the accounting rules and knowing all that stuff. Maybe it's, you know, I can make Excel macros and automate all my accounting work so I get it done in less time. Or maybe it's even something like, you know, I, if I were really good at speaking confidently about my projects, that would move me ahead. And so it doesn't even have to be a technical skill. It could even be a soft skill. And and we mentioned uh, Tristan de Montebello who applied that approach to learning public speaking. So ultra learning certainly isn't just about learning math and dry, boring stuff. It can be used to learn things like that too. Yes, that's uh, very cool. And I said before, uh, I, I, did a, I made a list uh, and it ranged from like mm -hmm. surfing to <laughs> learning the history of like philosophy, memory, I think is a big one, uh, public speaking and, and even like ski jumping and stuff. And that's actually, um, I was actually just thinking about this when I was reading your book, is that you don't mention mm -hmm. uh, sports really uh, as an ultra learning project, but would you say mm -hmm. that that's also, does the same principles apply, do the same, would, same strategy, or can you also ultra learn a sport, would you say? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that is definitely a, a missing spot in the book, but not an intentional one, not one that, you know, I've, I've omitted sports because sports no, don't apply to ultra learning. I will say a couple things about sports. So one thing is that whenever you're doing something that's highly physical, you do have to keep the risk of injury in mind. So, you know, I was learning, I, I just started, I'm like in my thirties and I just started learning downhill skiing for the first time, uh, like about a year ago. And so I, I'm interested in the process of learning how to ski. How do you get better at that? At the same time, I'm not going to throw myself off of a double black when I'm just my first day because, you know, let's just ultra learn it because that's yeah. a good way to break all your arms and legs, right? So there is a there is a risk there of physical injury and you need to sort of keep the body in mind when you're learning it. That being said, a lot of the skills involving dexterity or concepts or practice totally still apply. So when we're talking about feedback, when we're talking about directness, when we're talking about a lot of these little ideas... The same process applies. Now, I think there's a lot of really interesting cognitive science on how muscular memory and, and, and what we call like motor skills is learned differently than, let's say, highly intellectual skills. 
And um, there's some research that points that the two might involve separate memory systems and involve slightly different processes. So this is a little bit detailed and technical, and we can kind of discuss it more if you're interested. But I think that definitely a lot of the same approaches apply. And I think anyone reading this book who wants to apply this to, you know, learning badminton or they want to learn skiing or they want to learn surfing, like you just said, uh, a lot of the same approaches apply for Um, sure. Yeah. So basically uh, a physical muscle is muscle and the brain is is just not a muscle. It's different. And so it's good to just, Mm -hmm. you know, keep into account that there is a bit different, but there's some principles that are similar. So, so you can ultra learn. Well, I will say, yeah, I will say this though, that like, when we think about what we call it muscle memory, it's important to realize that that is, mm. that is in the brain, right? Like it's not in the muscle itself. Like your muscle has strength and there are some nerves that played onto the muscles that, you know, they will get adapted if you uh, do some training there. But at the same time, when we're talking about like swinging a baseball to hit a, a swing, a baseball bat, to hit a baseball or making a perfect turn on your snowboard. These are skills that really are mm. learned in the brain, although they might be learned with slightly different systems in the brain. So it's not to say that they're exactly the same as memorizing trivia, let's say, but I think it is important to realize that a lot of the same principles apply because these are adjustments to your nervous system. And very often in your central nervous system is where they're occurring rather than, you know, you know, the ability to hit a baseball bat is in a large part inside your brain rather than like, let's say inside your hand. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Okay. And I Mm -hmm. guess the the other thing when it comes to, so people will, someone reads this and they're like, oh, wow, there are so many different things I would love to ultra learn right now. As I said, my list, I think I had 10 on there Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, (laughs) now what? Um, how do I find the time, right? That's going to be the number one question. Uh, and in your book, you you kind of have three different um, possibilities of, you know, adding or learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a bit about that? And, you know, how can people add that to their schedule, really? Absolutely. Yeah, that, and that was one of the worries I had when I was writing this book, because I wanted to pick stories that inspired people and people thought were cool. But the problem is that if you look at these stories where someone did some heroic learning feat, and then you're like, oh, I don't have time for that. I've got a job. And the problem is that actually doing it full time isn't important at all. What matters is what are you doing with the time that you have? So my book is very much about what is the activity you're doing while you're learning, not how many hours you're putting in. And so I talked about three different ways that you could approach ultra learning. So one is to do it part-time. So if you're working a full-time job, you're super busy, you only have a couple hours per week, okay, fine, just spend a couple hours per week. It's better that those couple hours per week are done efficiently rather than inefficiently. So using the right principles because you don't have much time. So in some ways, the people who have no time are the people who need to read this book because if you're trying to learn a language and you only have three hours a week, those three hours better count. I mean, you can't use something that's not gonna get you there, otherwise it's not gonna help. The second way I talk about is what I call learning sabbaticals. And so not everyone, but some of you who are listening to this are going to have gaps in your time. So one guy I talked to, you know, he was contemplating a career change. And so he wanted to learn really intensely because he didn't want to be without a job for that long as he was switching careers. Other people, you know, if you're a student, you may have your summer off and you may have a couple months that you want to really get ahead in something that matters to you. Alternatively, some people with different schedules sometimes have gaps in their working life where they can work for two weeks, a month, two months. And so you might consider that as an option. The third option is just really to use this book to retool the time you already spend learning. So, you know, as a professional, maybe you have to log those professional practice hours or professional development hours. If you are, you know, working in a company, you might already be trying to learn something new. 
And this book might just help you give you the tools to think about doing that. So really, I want to think about it in part-time projects, sabbaticals, as well as retooling the learning you're already doing. And if you think about it that way, I mean, all of us have time to do learning and we're already doing learning. So this book is not really a barrier to that. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And the only thing that, so I, I kind of adapt this to my own schedule. I currently, I'm learning how to code, but I only work on it about an hour a day. And then I have free time in the afternoon, but I'd much rather work on another project. Right now I'm, I'm volunteering, but I could do something else. So would you, would you mm-hmm. recommend working, or I mean recommend, I don't know, what, would you think on working on several ultra learning projects at the same time or one at a time, get good, and then on to the next one? Because maybe a sport ultra learning project is a nice way of changing, you know, and then you have an intellectual one and you try and mix the two in one day. I don't know. What do you think of that? So this is something that I think everyone needs to feel out for themselves because there's there's sort of two points to it. So on one hand, I didn't find any research in the cognitive science that said, oh, you have to do it all one and then move on to the next one. In fact, there's even some research that shows the opposite. So there's some research on what's known as interleaving, where basically you learn multiple things or you learn multiple topics within the same subject, within the same studying period. And this seems to have some benefits for memory because the act of sort of if you can imagine it like when you're studying physics versus, you know, you're you're studying snowboarding or studying snowboarding, learning to snowboard, that it's kind of like there is a sort of boot up period where you have to activate all that knowledge required for snowboarding or activate all that knowledge required for physics and gets you in that frame of mind. And that that act of activating it and then once it's already running, it's sort of like each time you activate it, that strengthens those memories And so if you have to switch on and off, it actually might benefit memory. So there is some research that would show that doing multiple projects might be beneficial. However, I'll say that from my own personal experience, that it's very easy to pick way too many projects, and then it's really hard to stay motivated to do the hard things in each of them. So if you have 15 different projects, it's very easy for your motivation to get so diffuse that when I say, okay, well, X is the thing that you really need to do to improve in this project. And you're just, oh, that's overwhelming. I'm going to do this easier thing instead, or I'm going to give up and not work on it. So my feeling is that you need to feel out the boundaries. If you think that, you know, you know, it is exciting. I'm working on it. I'm doing the things that really matter to move my skill forward. And you want to do two or three projects. That's fine. On the other hand, if you feel like, you know what? I started doing this. I was working on, uh, you know, learning Spanish for two weeks and then I gave up. And then I started learning programming for two weeks and then I gave up then you might want to actually buckle down and only focus on one and hit a key milestone before switching to another one. So really, this is more a motivational issue than a cognitive issue. But I think it's worthwhile to, you know, everyone who's listening knows themselves and knows how they work best. I tend to work best when I obsess over something a little bit. But again, if you're the kind of person that you get you get work done when you work on a couple of things at a time, then then by all means. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I like the idea of having one intellectual ultra learning project and then a physical one. So just two maybe, and then working on mm-hmm. those because then you, you feel like you're working your body and you're, but I don't know, I I do my own learning, but in a different, it's, it's not super intense, but I mean, now I'm contemplating trying it out. Yeah. The only yeah. other thing that kind of puts me uh, in doubt is a lot of these ultra learning projects seem like a one man thing, right? Because you're, you're sitting down, you're studying, mm-hmm. or maybe not so much with sports, but you're you're studying maths, or you're maybe public speaking is a bit different. But still, do you feel the, the one worry that I have, and one of the reasons I would not spend my entire mm-hmm. day 
on one ultra learning project is I just I'd feel lonely. I'd be like, okay, I'm just working by this on this by myself. Uh, and I don't really get to work with others. This is Eric Barone, right, who developed his own game. I guess he wasn't really working with others. He was mm. doing all the skills himself. Did he not yeah. get a bit lonely? Did he not get a bit, you know, missing the human contact? So how would you work around that and make sure you don't, you know, feel, you know, just a bit of loneliness when you're working on one ultra learning project? So one thing I will say is that nothing about ultra learning means that it has to be solitary. So I'll give a good example. When I did the language learning project um, to learn the languages, uh, I was with a friend the whole time. So I was I was very rarely alone. And it, like, again, language learning is, a, is an inherently social skill. So I would say that ultra learning is actually more social than the textbook way that you, you know, study languages through flashcards and textbook exercises at home. If you're out chatting with people, you know, five, six hours a day, it can actually almost be the opposite that you, you want some time alone after. And similarly, if you're learning a lot of other skills, you may find that the way that you're learning is pushing you into, you know, interactions with other people. So certainly in the feedback case, ultra learning is often about seeking more feedback earlier on than most people would do. So if you were doing a lot of skills, you might interact with people a lot earlier in the process than if you were sort of doing it your more default or natural way. I will say that there are some skills that lend themselves to a somewhat more isolated approach. Um, I don't think this is necessary by design. And often I find that, you know, if you have the right people in your life that are also interested in learning a skill, forming a small group forming even a partnership can be really valuable because you keep each other accountable and you can also push each other to go to places that you feel a little more uncomfortable. So for instance, when I went on this language learning adventure with my friend, you know, I was the guy who was into studying more. So I think that I pushed our sort of dynamic into, okay, yeah, but we actually have to look at the textbook and study a bit of grammar and, and improve on some of our weak points. Whereas my friend was more socially fearless. So he was going up to strangers and asking them questions. And so I was a little bit more shy. And so being with him, I kind of came out of my shell a bit more and worked on that. So sometimes doing a project with other people can also improve on your weaknesses. So you're talking about your surfing project. That would be something you could totally do with a friend and say, hey, you know what? We're going to go surfing together and we're going to use these principles and push each other so that when I see you avoiding this hard thing that you need to be doing, I can say, hey, you know what? You really need to do this and, and vice versa. And so I, I really don't think that ultralearning needs to be solitary, but it is self-directed, meaning that you are taking responsibility for what you need to learn and not just delegating that to a teacher or a coach. Yeah, that's that's uh, that makes sense. The only reason I, I think or I ask this is that because, as I said, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm learning how to program. And I, the only reason I'm not spending five hours a day, and I, you know, I guess I could spend three to four hours a day, is because... Um, it's, it's quite actually solitary apart from boot camps, which are a great idea. Uh, if you're just mm -hmm. learning how to code by yourself, it's, it's just you in front of a laptop writing also. And obviously you could find others, but you know, I'm, I'm in Malaysia. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> yeah. so that's why I'm not spending three hours a day on coding because I'm like, I'm going to just also, I don't want to spend it in front of a laptop. I want to be outside. I want to be doing things. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's because I'm, I'm here. Maybe if I was, I don't know, back home, I don't know, but even I, I, I want to be with others. So I guess I'd have to find a partner or a group. So if anyone listening is in, <laughs> is in this part <laughs> of the world, but, um, yeah, it's just, that's why I was wondering because, and, and that's why I think it's it's a good mix, yeah. right, to have, as, as you said, like a surfing or, or maybe a more physical skill that's maybe more sociable or a language learning, as you said, uh, and then pairing that with another ultra learning project that's maybe a bit more solitary and 
adapting. Well, one thing I will say is that like, obviously, if you're going to be learning coding, you're going to be spending a lot of time with a computer. I don't think there's really yeah, much yeah. avoiding that when you're uh, learning that skill. However, however, this is also another thing that I think a lot of new programmers make as a mistake is that they mostly work on solitary yeah. projects. And I mean, it depends on your goals. But if your goal is to become like a professionally capable programmer, most programmers will tell you that, you know, the thing that you're doing is working with clients and other code bases and other coders. And so I would actually recommend jumping into mm. open source projects if you're interested, because working on an open source project where you're contributing and you have to communicate with other people, I mean, it's still usually through email and message boards and, you know, occasionally Skype or something. You're not necessarily uh, meeting with these groups face to face. But at the same time, that's also, I think, like, the kind of programming where you're 100% working on your own is a little bit of an anomaly because most professional programming, I mean, the difficulty isn't necessarily writing your own program. It's seeing someone else's code yeah, and being like, what yeah. the heck is this doing here? This is so poorly commented and, and, and you know, trying to build on the work of other people. So, uh, you know, it, it's really how you want to pursue it. And that's so I think that kind of choose your own adventure approach to ultra learning is, is yeah. what I'm trying to advocate as well is that if you're a real social programmer, you know, find projects where you get to work and collaborate with people. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'll definitely look into that then. So, yeah, that's, I mean, f for me, the most exciting part about this ultra learning is that it's it's an alternative to formal education that I know in the US it's extremely expensive, but in, in Europe, it's, you know, slowly mm -hmm. gaining ground. In the UK, it's getting more expensive. And sometimes we don't want to spend four years ever you know, on one thing. And so it, it's exciting because as you said, instead of working for, for uh, studying for four years, it's one year instead. And not only that, it's also a great way to save money, acquire a lot of different skills. And something we talk quite a bit on the podcast is career testing, right? Uh, many times university, the problem is that mm -hmm. you're committing yourself to one subject. Uh, you're 18, you have no idea what you want to do with your life and you suddenly have to do this course for four years and at the end you might not like it. Uh, so it's a huge commitment, energy and money-wise. And I think ultra learning also offers an alternative to that. Instead of, you know, going head into university, uh, doing something you might, you're not sure about, do an ultra learning project that, you know, for six months and see if you might like that instead. Um, and if at the end you're like, yep, definitely love it, then go to university. And if you don't, then, okay, what else can I try? And so you're kind of career testing, right? You're testing the skill. You can also get mm -hmm. to know the people in that field. And I really, there's something that... Um, I can't remember which principle it was, um, but you talk about l talking to the people, uh, meta-learning, you talk to the people who uh, have already mm -hmm. got, have already achieved your goal. And I love that. I do that already. But for career, I talk to people who have the career that I have, that I really want. And I ask them how they've done it mm -hmm. and what's good and what's bad about it. Uh, and I think you can just by ultra learning or working on project, you can do the same so, and see, you know, from there, what fits you best, you know, maybe a bit of that skill, a bit of that skill, a bit of that skill. And as you say, it's pure self-education. I, I, yeah, I love it. <laughs> no, I, and I completely agree on, on what you said that my, one of my goals with this book is not to be like, a, you know, let's tear down the university system because there's a lot of times when you need a degree. I mean, if you want to be a doctor in the States, you, you can't practice medicine with a degree. So there's a lot of places where what you want to do requires a degree. But that being said, I think a lot of people have bought into this belief that the only way you can learn something that's moderately difficult or even very difficult 
is to go to school. And I want this book to try to dissuade them that that's the only way that they can do that. And like you said, yeah, there is going to be maybe people who, you know, you do a little ultra learning project and you decide, you know what, this is for me. I should go to college. Let's master it. But you may decide, you know what, actually, I don't like this subject. And it's better to learn that, you know, early on than to waste uh, years of your life and tons of uh, student loans to figure that message out. Yeah, for sure. Which is why uh, I don't know if you're marketing your book to 18 year olds, but uh, <laughs> that could also be an opportunity or high school students because that couldn't maybe I'm sure if when I was 17, 16, 18, if I had read the book that I've gotten really excited and I mean, I didn't go to university, but you know, it would have even further reinforced the idea of not going. So, um, And I guess the last question on this topic would be, do you think if if someone actually did exactly what we're saying and ultra learned an entire curriculum, pretty much what you did with the mm-hmm. MIT uh, computer science, and maybe some other skills, would, would they get easily hired? What do you think? Is this something really people can pursue in? And yeah, maybe not medicine, but other... <laughs> other fields. So so this question is super complicated. And the truth is that I can't give a one size fits all answer to everyone. What I will say, and I can just talk about my own experience, because I did this MIT challenge project to learn computer science. Um, and what I can say after having done that is that a lot of people when they were hearing about my project, they were saying, well, it's too bad that employers won't take this seriously, that like no one will want to hire this guy. And then replying to those very same comments, this was a Reddit thread that picked up my project, Find those very same comments were people who work in HR in tech firms and were saying, no, that's not true. Like, this is exactly the kind of person we want to hire. And so I think, again, it goes back to these assumptions. I'm not saying that having a a degree is not valuable at all. It often is valuable. And I will also say that, you know, there are right and wrong ways to do a self-education project. You could do one that's not really hard or rigorous at all, and people might not treat it the same way. But in the same sense, I also think that we get into these assumptions that, well, you need a degree. If you don't have a degree, no one will hire you. And that's often not true. That often what it is is that employers are using degrees as a filter to find people that they think are smart, ambitious, hardworking, that have initiative, that can, you know, understand and do complicated work. And if you can show that in other ways, then often, you know, you show up to an interview and you say, hey, I learned an entire, you know, degrees worth of material on my own. I think a lot of people would take that as a positive sign rather than as something strictly inferior to going to school. And, and and not to mention that going to school often is not enough in a lot of professions that you need to show and demonstrate skills in other ways as well. So really what my hope is with this book is not to close off doors or tell you what the right answer is, but to open your mind to all the possibilities that maybe you hadn't considered before. Yeah, for sure. I mean, personally, I'm I'm interested in the more career side of it, but I know many of our listeners would be interested also in acquiring an ultra learning project to then turn it into a side business or mm-hmm. uh, into a possibility of, of, I don't know, I mean, as, as I said before, finance in itself, just learning a ton about finance. That's, you know, that's sorting out your retirement pretty much. And that will pay off tons, obviously. Uh, or here in, in this community, retiring early, reaching financial independence, retiring mm-hmm. at the age of 35, is thanks to committing to an ultra-learning project of learning as much as you can about investing, saving, etc. So then you retire, well, retire early, we prefer to say financial independence, 30, at 35, and, and then you've got your entire time to do whatever you want, maybe pursue more ultra-learning projects. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yes, it's not just career-focused. It can also be, you know, just on the side to help you 
out with other things uh, or just a personal project, as we said before, maybe some some physical skill. So I like how you can kind of apply this to so many different things. And I think anyone listening can really uh, do an ultra learning project that can benefit them in many different ways. So absolutely cool. absolutely cool okay scott well um we've got some quick final questions sure. uh if you're good with that I'm our good. first question nice and easy where to find you online uh if people are interested and want to get the book where can they get find you absolutely well the book you can get anywhere you can get it from amazon barnes and noble whatever your favorite retailer is it's published by harper business uh, both in the united states and the united kingdom uh, if you are in europe i will note that there are two versions of the book there is a sort of teal green colored version that's the american version and then there's a yellow colored version which is the uh, uk version i'm not sure, quite sure why they like to do different covers but the content's the same so just pick the one that's available in your region and i would say if you want to find me and you want to learn a little bit more about me or or read some of my writing or some of my thoughts on this topic, uh, you can find my website at scotthyoung.com. Uh, and there's also links to all my social media if you're interested in following me on whatever your favorite platform is as well. Awesome. Okay. Uh, question number two, what's this one resource not well known that you would recommend to others? This could be a blog, a podcast, you know, apart from your book, obviously, uh, that you would, yeah, recommend to... So if we're on the subject of learning, uh, my sort of favorite writer uh, expert on learning is Daniel Willingham. So he's not mm -hmm. super well known, but he is an expert cognitive scientist and he's written actually some of the papers that I've cited in the book are uh, co-authored by him on the subject of learning and education. And so I highly recommend Daniel Willingham's blog when it comes to um, the science of learning. So if you're interested in digging deep and you want to talk to someone who's got a Harvard PhD, then uh, he would be the person to look up to. But I definitely have learned a lot from reading reading his uh, ideas. Perfect. We'll add all, all of that in the show notes. And our mm -hmm. last question, uh, and I've adjusted it a bit because normally we ask about financial dependence, but um, yeah. what is your one uh, number one actionable tip for someone to get started on their path to ultra learning? <laughs> Not financial right. dependence. So there's lots and lots of ideas. We've talked about a ton of them, but I, okay. if there was one takeaway, if there's just one thing that you're listening to this podcast that I'd like you to do, and that is whenever you start learning something, think about how you're going to use it. And the reason why is that if you can think about how you're going to use it, you can connect whatever you're learning to how you're going to use it from the start. And this prevents these issues of transfers this is related to this issue of directness. But I think it also shifts you into thinking of knowledge as something that you apply, that you use, that brings you value in your life, rather than some inert list of facts that you uh, memorized in order to pass an exam. And so this is my hope with this book that you see learning as being this tool that you use to, you know, feel good to accomplish things in your life, to, you know, bring your life meaning and joy rather than just something that you have to use in some narrow part of your life for school just to pass exams and to please teachers and educators. So really that would be my main tip. Figure out how you want to use the skill and use that to ground your project in reality. Awesome. That's great. And just listening to that, I'm thinking already, you know, <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> what is my, what, what ultra learning project should I focus on? And I'm sure so are our listeners, uh, getting who are probably getting excited on on what what exactly can they be working on right now so scott thank you very much this was very interesting uh and it opens up a lot of possibilities really it just gets you thinking you know what are the tons of different things that i can learn because learning is a huge mm -hmm. superpower that humans have 
and we definitely need to use it fully. So thank you very much, Scott. And um, thank you so much for having me. Excited to see the book released in in August. This will be releasing in August too, so you can go and buy uh, the book uh, right in in our show notes. So. And if anyone uh, does decide to use some of the ideas and pursue their own ultra learning project, I mean, I would love to hear about it. So if you go to my website, send me a message. I'm really interested in hearing what ultra learning projects you plan on taking on. Perfect. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books, and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.